Hello, and welcome to the Withy Window Podcast, brought to you by Covenant Coffee. The Withy Window Podcast exists to help men and women have dominion and mastery over their corner of the earth as they build godly households that are sturdy, productive, and joyful. We believe that Jesus Christ is Lord over all, and we desire to see His Word come out our fingertips. And particularly, we desire to build upon the commands of Christ by speaking specifically about the wisdom of applying those commands. Well, my name is Matt, and I'm joined here by my wife, Sarah, once again. Hey, guys. Well, today we want to talk to you about uh, we want to talk about uh, the household as a culture. So we talked about uh, last time about like the the fundamentals of a of a household. You know, it's two men. Uh, well, it's not two men. <laughs> Scratch Wait, that. Wait, what? <laughs> Delete Rewind. that. Want to edit that out? Uh, it's a man and a woman. Um, it is uh, two of humankind. <laughs> Mankind, uh, and specifically a, a man and, and a woman, uh, in covenant relationship, coming together to uh, to to exercise dominion and mastery together, uh, and to bring life together, ultimately for the glory of God. Uh, and we talk about how they each have different roles. Well, today uh, we want to talk about the household as a as a culture. You know, a, a household is meant. To have a particular, uh, like a certain culture, um, and and the reality is that every household has its own culture. Now, before we get into like defining a culture, I want to say like from the beginning that that every Christian household is going to have certain elements that uh, resemble that that are similar. Mm-hmm. Um, certain aspects based of the on culture, the scriptures. because yeah, it's based on the scriptures. Mm-hmm. But then each household is free to, within those boundary markers, have their own particular culture, um, and that's good. And and and, and should it, be celebrated. And should expression. be celebrated. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a that's a wonderful thing. Um, and and yeah, it doesn't mean you should look at your culture and go, well, that's just our culture, and who cares what other households are doing. But you can look at other households and go, oh, that's a cool thing. That's a part of their culture. I would like to have as our culture. Um, but you can also look at that and go, well, that's kind of stupid. <laughs> like, why did they, why did they do that? Or you could look at that and say, wow, praise God for that expression of God. <laughs> you could. <laughs> it's not us. <laughs> yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now, as we think about like a culture, so a culture has language, it has customs, it has traditions, <clears throat> it has countless unspoken assumptions. You know, God has made the world in such a way that children who grow up in the culture of the family are to be shaped and molded by it. So I don't, I don't think like we understand because like when we think about like a kid learning to uh, to talk, um, that that that's like shaped by culture, and it just kind of happens naturally that we don't think about it. A child is going to learn to say the foods. That he's used to getting, yeah, in the culture of the home, yeah, exactly, and 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 from there they're going to learn the foods they like to eat. Mm-hmm. They they didn't like most of that, particularly in those younger ages, is not learned by 
just their palate. Mm-hmm. Most of it's learned by the culture of mom and dad mm-hmm. um, and what they put in front of their kids, what they expect their kids to eat. For example, all of our kids ate sushi starting at probably about age two. Yeah, and don't tell the medical professionals because some of them might have started <laughs> earlier. <laughs> Raw fish. Well, that's Are, just an example. You're going to go tell a story, aren't you? I am. We should stay I, on topic, Matt. I am. No, no. Um, I have two stories. Oh, okay. I, I remember one, I forget which child, maybe you can remind me, but it was sitting in a high chair still, and we gave them a sushi roll, and they were chewing on it, and mm-hmm. they started choking because they couldn't, they couldn't swallow the seaweed. Right. Do you remember well, which child that was? I think you're talking about we were in a restaurant. I don't no, think, Oh, that's no, a different no. story. This that's was, your second story. Yeah, that's my second story. I don't know which one that one was. Oh, we, and then man. we're like, well, you know what? Maybe we should wait till they're a little older. <laughs> <laughs> we should just cut it up better. <laughs> no, the other one was when our eldest, when, when Chapman was, uh, he picked up the big thing of wasabi. Oh, yeah. In the restaurant. Off yes, the sushi plate. And he put that in his mouth yeah, like buddy. it was the whole thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he just all of a, we didn't know he did that. And he just gets up, starts dancing and crying. <laughs> and we're like, what? <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, but like that's that's a part of our our culture. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as uh I was telling uh, Russ today, we we're talking about um food and and such. Rusty and, is your pastor friend. Yeah, sorry. For those of you who don't know, Russ is one of my longtime friends mm-hmm. and uh helped us start Christ the Lord, you know, thirteen years ago. And anyways, I mean, you'll hear more about Russ in yeah, the episodes sure. to come. So um, we were just talking about, uh, you know, our, our kids and their palates and it was just, a, it was a fun conversation today, but, um, like my, our kids, because of the culture of our household, they generally eat about anything. Hot uh, sauces, <laughs> jalapenos, except for the girl. She follows after me. She does. She does. <laughs> we had your, your, uh, Zupa Toscana tonight. Um, and there was from fresh jalapenos and I'm like, Ooh, they're going to go bad. We should use those. So I chopped them up and three of our kids loved having them in their soup tonight mm-hmm. and not the girl. Nope. Not, not her. <laughs> so, uh, so a culture, um, like uh, this is the, this is my point, but going back to the, them learning language, they're designed to absorb the culture around them. Um, and to do so as children without much, um, what's the word, uh, inhibition? Mm-hmm. Without I mean, much effort. I mean, it just without happens. much effort, it just happens. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have much fear about it. Oh, that's what mom and dad do. Mm-hmm. That's what I'll do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you train them to assess culture as they get older. Mm-hmm. But in the beginning, they're, they're just going to absorb it. And God, and here's my point, God designed them to be that way. It's just natural order. This just natural observation. A, a child, um, you know, in Deuteronomy 6, I think, is picking up on this when he says to, to teach them as you walk by the, the roadside, teach them as you get up in the morning, teach mm-hmm. them as they lay down to bed, mm-hmm. as you arise, like, because they're immersed in this. And they're going to pick up something. They are. I mean, whether you're teaching the scriptures or not. That's right. They're going to pick up whatever you're dishing out. Yeah, so or what you're dish not out dishing out. Yep. Mm-hmm. And of course, again, to remind us, the duty of, of good, godly parents is to make sure that their creative building of this culture is within the boundaries of the scriptures. 
Now, uh, to, to keep pushing this definition of, of culture the, the way I'm defining it, is it's like an interaction um, between or an interaction with beliefs. So you have kind of like your truth set, and then how are you interacting with those beliefs? So it's the, uh, the both and, is how you feel about them, what you like about them, how you implement them. Like, those are the culture is both of those pieces. Um, so for example, I'll give you an example. We have the conviction of the family um, that we are dependent on the Lord for everything. So that's part of our truth set. Well, further, a part of our truth set that we believe as a family is that food that we eat daily is meant to be a reminder of our dependence on the Lord for everything. Um, and then further in that, that's uh, in that conviction, that's part of why we enjoy the Lord's Supper as a church every Sunday. So that's why we practice communion every Sunday, is to be reminded of our utter dependence on the Lord. So if you have communion that's meant to be in part a reminder of our dependence on the Lord, and food, we believe, is meant to again remind us that we need the Lord for everything, then we should see that parallel, right? Absolutely. You know, it's real easy to not see that. In fact, it's really good that you said that, and we share that because someone shared that idea, that parallel with us. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, we would just see food as like, um, we just were hungry. We're, this is what we do at mm -hmm. breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and three snacks a day. Yeah, that's what we we just need it. Well, yeah. But to think about it eternally and spiritually, and the fact that God is in our has designed our food for some reason. Yeah, that it just takes some thinking. It takes some some spiritual insight. Yeah, some muscle to think through that. Yeah. Well, and the, now if that's the case, then think about how powerful then it becomes. Then you have three meals a day, roughly seven days a week with your kids to instill in them that they are utterly dependent on the Lord. Mm -hmm. Or you have three meals a day, seven times a week to show them that they can get sustenance, that they can feed their bellies, that they can get the fuel for the next thing apart from God. I mean, right. that, that's your two options. Right. Um, that's true. Like, yeah, yeah, you're teaching them, oh, this is apart from God when you're not actually telling them, hey, yeah. this is designed by God and we need God like we need this food. And right. He's provided this for us. Yeah. What so a good you, God. Yeah. It's, it's all, so you've got this amazing opportunity to teach them either really well or mm -hmm. to teach them terribly. Well, then you couple that with the parallel to the Lord's Supper where we need Him, where it's where it's very tangible in the Lord's Supper that that not only do we need him for physical sustenance, but we need him for spiritual um, redemption, mm -hmm. right? And spiritual sustenance for eternity. Um, so then, for us, if we're thinking about, so then how do we approach the Lord's Supper? Well, you don't do that willy-nilly. You don't do that disorderly. How do you do that? You do it with respect. You do it under self-control. Um, you do it with thankfulness. And you do it with joyfulness. It's even similar to, you know, Jesus says, I am the bread of life, right? Mm -hmm. um, and he also says to the woman at the well, come drink from me and, and, I'll, and I'll, you'll thirst no more. Mm -hmm. and, and we believe as a church that 
when the word is being preached, that, that God's people are feeding mm-hmm. on that word. Again, what are we doing? We're rehearsing again every Sunday morning that we are in utter dependence on God when we come and submit ourselves underneath God's teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you have the, kind of those three parallels or those three items in those parallel tracks, then when you sit down at the dinner table, you should teach your kids to, to walk, uh, to eat in an orderly fashion, to exercise self-control, to show thankfulness, to learn how to talk um, and listen to other people talk, to learn how to present their thoughts, but then to have to listen and, and comprehend someone else's thoughts. And mom and dad should take that opportunity to instruct, to help their kids sit underneath the authority um, of instruction. Mm-hmm. Um, I, mean, I can tell very much how a kid uh, acts at the dinner table by what's expected of them and the way they act in church. Um, and because, but my point is, is like, you should see like the time of feeding in the church related to the time of feeding at the Lord's Supper related to your time of feeding at three meals a day, seven days a week. Mm-hmm. Um, so my, my point is like, that's how we're interacting as a family with this belief set concerning our dependence on the Lord. And one facet in the same vein is, you know, we go to take the Lord's Supper at church to remember Christ, to remember what He's done for us, remember who He is. And when we sit and break bread, you know, food, dinner, lunch, breakfast at the table, it is an exercise of an intention to remember the Lord. Remember that He has given us this food. He has given us the job to pay for this food or the, the to pay for the seeds that then we planted and then that we harvested and then that we washed and now is at our table. You know, it's just a, a an intention of remembering mm-hmm. as well. That's right. And then the last thing I want to say about culture before we move on to kind of three aspects of the culture that we've chosen to highlight um, is the idea of like loyalty to that culture. Like you want your kids to learn that that this is the culture of your household um, defined by God's word and then creatively expressed within those boundaries um, that they should, from that culture, sift the rest of the culture and have a loyalty to that culture of their home. Now, the, now that doesn't mean that when they grow up and begin their own households, that they can't tweak some of that culture, but they should want and be bought into the culture of that household. So, um, you know, again, another conversation for another time, but you know, if you're building a culture that none of your kids want anything to do with, it's great you're building a culture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it's like, you know, like Doug Wilson said in, in one of his parenting lectures, like, if you're, you know, dad, if you're driving 80 miles down the road, it's great that you're, you know, you're getting somewhere. But if no one's in the car with you, then what's the point? Mm-hmm. So now you can't change the aspects of your culture that are biblically defined. And if your kids don't like that, then I know that's a hard thing, but that's you can't change that. You don't have any right to. But if the aspects within your culture of your household that are um, 
you know, unique to you as mom and dad, if your kids, you got to bring them along in that. Um, and sometimes that means laying down some preferences mm-hmm. as a parent. Yeah. You know, maybe a little extra patience here, a mm-hmm. little more understanding of your child's frame here Yeah, and such. So, yeah, absolutely. Cause you, you want them when they leave your house, you know, when they're three or when they're 30 to look at the world and say, Hmm, how does that measure up with the culture I learned at home? Cause, cause again, culture, the way I'm defining it is the interaction with the belief set. So you have for us, there are biblically required convictions and then we want to, but then what do you do with those? How do you interact with them? How do you, what do you, how, which ones do you love? Which ones do you highlight, you know? And so it's, it's kind of those, um, it's those beliefs in practice is really kind of what's happening in that culture. So you can't like, as they go into the world, they can't just assess a truth. Like you, you assess the truth, but the truth is not just in a vacuum. They're, they're going to do life. And that truth is even in a college setting, it's still coming from the culture of that college. It's still coming from the culture of that professor. And so you want them to be able to, to take in the whole picture and, and you want, you want them not just to think, um, what was, what was the culture of the household I was brought up in, but you want them to think of that with a fondness, mm-hmm. um, that this was a good thing. Um, and then you also want to help their consciences not be bound to, um, thinking they have to do it exactly like mom and dad. Um, but you want them to love those things. Um, so from there... You, um, you've probably heard a couple times in like our intro and our outro, um, music and and talk that we talk about, um, having homes that are joyful, sturdy, um, and the third thing being productive. And there, there are way more aspects to a household, but we just, we think these three, um, uh, are kind of, uh, at the core, uh, and at least for our family. But I think these are three things that, fit that, um, the biblically defined boundary of a household, that these should be a part of every household. Every household should strive to be productive, should strive to be sturdy, and should strive to be joyful. Uh, there's more on that boundary marker, but but those are three that, that at least for these uh, this season and of our lives, we want to focus on it. And one of those being joyful, um, and in part because we're trying to grow in that ourselves. Absolutely. This is definitely a good reminder for, for us, for me. So mm, oh like, yeah, yeah we're talking about joyful, a household should be joyful. You know, first we were talking last episode about how the presence of the mom is, can, is life giving mm-hmm. or life taking, mm-hmm. you know, the, the expression on her face, her tone, her mood, it's either giving life to your children and your family, your husband, or it's taking it away. And so just for me to be conscious of that, because I can get into a mode of productivity or task orientation, and I just can get really down in kind of a, the nitty-gritty details and not be smiling <laughs> mm-hmm. because I'm focused on getting something done. Mm-hmm. And so it's been a big conscious practice of mine to remember what I'm doing and to take a step back and to make sure I'm smiling at my kids. Um, because my joy 
and they're, they're knowing that I'm joyful with them and, and in them is more important than this task that has to be, has to be done. I want to do the task. But I want to do it with joy. Yeah. So full, like joy, full of joy specifically in the Lord. Psalm 21, six says, for you make him most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. And that's the key right there. Mm-hmm. God's presence. Yeah. Mom's not going to have a joy <laughs> that you can just muster up because life is hard. Yeah. But the presence of the Lord, you're abiding in Christ every hour. And when things are getting hard and that joy is leaving, you go back to that source of joy, mm-hmm. the presence of God through prayer, through just a, hey, guys, I just need a couple minutes. And you go and you read something that you were meditating on earlier in the day or mm-hmm. yesterday. You you have to go to the source of your joy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I kind of set out like, I guess it was three months or so ago now, like, just recognizing I, I needed to really grow in mm-hmm. this area. And um, I don't know if this was why I chose to go to the Psalms. I was kind of at a point of, um, you know, I, I just I just read through, yeah, as, as you know, Sarah, like I just um, pick a book of the Bible and I read through and journal through that, and, and I don't have a particular pace. I don't mm-hmm. do one of those awesome, cool Bible reading plans that, you know, all the hip Christians do and then fail by March. Um I just pick a book of the Bible and read through, and I've been doing that for, I mean, gosh, what, four years now. <clears throat> so I went to Psalms, and what's been awesome for me personally is the joy of the Lord is all over David in the midst of difficult life. He always names it as yeah. well. Like, he always goes back to it. Mm-hmm. It's, there's some, it's he, somewhere in the Psalms, and, <laughs> in and that Psalm. And it's so awesome because really the, the joy that musters up inside David um, in the Psalms is like at least how he gets there is by remembering and esteeming God as he should be esteemed. Mm-hmm. You know, God, the, the fullness of the heavens and all that dwells in it is for you. You know, that was what I read this morning. Uh, I just read four verses this morning and journaled on that. And that verses is that idea has just stuck with me, and I'm like, Lord, I I want to walk today as I go into Menards or you know, to a shopping place, or as I sit in my office and write something. That the fullness of this earth, everything that's in it, is for you, and 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 I should esteem you as such. And with that, joy comes. Wow! You let the objective reality, mm-hmm. the objective truth, that God is that creator, Mm -hmm. maker of the heavens that influenced your choosing joy and like, and then like the feelings, the subjective Mm -hmm. comes. Yeah. Yeah. It was, you know, yeah. I I chose to esteem God as he should be esteemed. Right. Right. So um, it's funny, this idea of joy um, made me think of Silas. And our conversation last night. You want to tell them, like, uh, <laughs> right? The we, story? Yeah, yeah we yeah. have a sweet boy, Silas, who will just randomly just kind of pour out these thoughts that you can tell he's been thinking about for a long time. And so he was just, you know, we were just in, the, in a room together alone, and he just says, Mom, when I grow up, I'm going to be, you know, he'll start talking about different things that he wants and or wants to be like in this specific instance 
he said, I want to be a joyful dad. And my immediate, immediate thought was like, oh, like, is he seeing something that's lacking in his childhood? Mm-hmm. That he's saying, mom, I want to do something different. Because he has done some of that kind of stuff. Like, for instance, a funny example is where, mom, when I grow up, I'm going to play video games all the time. <laughs> Whereas like in his childhood, he is not allowed to do that. Like, you know, like rarely ever. Yeah. So I thought this was another instance. We don't of, even own uh, a video thing. We have a couple games on our phone. Yeah. Yeah. So he wants that the video game thing really badly. So I thought this was another instance that, Hey, I'm not getting this in my childhood. So I'm going to be this when I grow up. So when he said, I want to be a joyful dad, I just explored that. And I said, you know, Buddy, that's that's a great thing to want to be. Do you think and see your mom and dad as joyful? And to my relief, he's just put a big he had a big old smile and he goes, Oh yeah. He goes, I want to be like dad when mm. I grow up. And I'm like, Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, and I was so also thankful because yeah. I know how much you and I need to grow yeah. in our joyfulness mm-hmm. in our family. And how conscious we are about that and, and asking the Lord for, for that help and for the joy. And that was just a, a gift. It was a gift. It was yeah. an answer to prayer. It was. I mean, when, you, when we were sitting on the, on the porch talking about that last night, I was just so thankful. I was thankful to the Lord. I was thankful to Him that I mean, it's an answer to prayer. And there's still more room, room to go. And we'd love to hear that from all my kids, but... You know, one thing I've noticed, a practical effort of joy in the Lord in our household has been, you know, bedtime can be, for me, kind of a, a pretty tough time. I'm tired <laughs> and I'm done. It's you a know? long-standing and struggle. And one thing that I appreciate about you is that you actually consciously and intentionally take that time to be um, what we've heard from Tony Rigney. Uh, no, Joe. Joe. <laughs> Man, I always get those mixed up. Joe so, Rigney. It's Tony... Uh, Reinke. Reinke. And, and they're, they're, those guys swim in the same stream. So Anyways, to, to your credit... Thanks. To your credit. Rigney says, be the smile of God to your children. Mm-hmm. And you do that because you, with joy, you go tickle them. They, there's lots of laughter, lots of, you know, them chasing you and getting you, you know, and they, they're egging you on, you know, mm-hmm. at bedtime, last ready night, for that. Last night was screaming. You know why? Did you <laughs> no. hear them? I Yes. You know why? No. <laughs> so I was, you know, they have those really, really powerful Nerf guns. Yeah. So I was shooting them in their bed. Oh. <laughs> From like five feet away. Yes. Through their blanket. And there was lots of not laughter, they were screaming. <laughs> but they loved it. Oh, they did. You know, they and did. So yeah. you take that extra effort when, you know, mom is low energy and you you do that. Now my little effort here and there is I'm like, okay, I'll read a book tonight. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, but I'm growing in that. But yeah, you we want lots of smiles in our joyful household. We want a lot of laughter, um, even the midst of trials, like, mm-hmm. you know, even pregnancy sickness, <laughs> the Lord is still good <laughs> and our future is still secure, you know? And so because of that, like to, to think upon that and feast upon that, to medicate on Christ and his promises, mm-hmm. um, in the midst of trials, then we can choose and then have joy because that truth transforms us. 
Yeah, and we got to remember that the jo- true joy only comes when there's true peace. That's true. And true peace only happens when there's righteousness. It says righteousness always precedes peace, and I won't get into the theological argument for that. But That was a sermon a couple <laughs> weeks ago. That was, it was. You should go to CTL, uh, cltldayton.com and listen to uh, the sermon from, what was, this? today's March 27th, what was... Yeah, there you go. Two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. March 12th. There you go. There's a plug, a shameless plug. Uh, In the book of Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews, (laughs) yes. Hebrews chapter 7. That peace always precedes, I'm sorry, righteousness always precedes peace. And and namely, we see that in the gospel, because God, you know, we could not have peace with God apart from having the righteousness of Christ. Right. And that had to come first. Um. And so same thing in your household. You won't have joy unless you have peace, and you're not going to have peace unless you have righteousness. So that means you got to do the hard work of, of picking up things around the house and dealing with them via repentance and faith before the house gets too cluttered. Mm-hmm. And you got to do it quickly. And it's much easier if you just pick up one or two items along the way than letting an entire room or an entire house just get messy. So... And I, I mean, a metaphor for picking up righteousness and, and walking in repentance and faith. So not only should a household be joyful, but it should be sturdy. And what we mean by sturdy is like the idea of something that's lasting, something that will go on. Mm. Um, you know, believe it or not, the Bible actually says that like a righteous man leaves an inheritance for his son mm. um, and for his children. Like that, this... Um, this thing that is in our culture right now, well, my kids need to earn it themselves. Well, they do need to learn how to earn it, absolutely. But you should give them tall shoulders to stand on. Mm-hmm. And you should want them for your great-grandkids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids to have even taller shoulders to stand on. Mm-hmm. Um, and we want to... Uh, so some ideas with that, like we want to build a legacy. I, I want... I, I want the McBees that have come from Matt and Sarah um, to be a force to be reckoned with and that that the culture that we build from God's Word to last through generations and to, to be um, something to affect um, the world around them, mm-hmm. that they're taking more acres for mm-hmm. the glory of God. Um, you know, if you're going to build something that's sturdy, you've got to do things like Re- realize that when you're parenting your kids, you're parenting your grandkids at the same time. Right. And when you're parenting your kids, you're parenting your kids for their spouse at the same time. Right. Um, you know, we want to build deep roots into our kids, roots of deep, rich theology, uh, deep financial roots. Um, something we talk about a lot as a family is roots of wisdom. Like, I want them to have the ability to connect A and B, mm-hmm. and A and B over here to C. Um, so I, a lot of times I I instruct, I, I don't instruct our kids, and, and you do the same thing you've, you've picked up uh, as I've led here, is I don't ever instruct with options, especially for my younger kids. Um, you know, with Chapman, it's a little bit different now, but but I don't really give them like, you, you can choose A or B. I'm going to tell, I'm going to choose what they need to do but I usually instruct by helping them connect the dots. So like, all right, buddy, I want you to look around. Here's a great example. And I want you to observe what your parents are doing here. 
So that happens a lot of times at dinner table. Right. Are we laying down on our chair? Yeah. Um, looking at the ceiling upside down. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Or, or say you and I are sitting on the couch in the, in the living room reading our Bibles. And a kid comes in and just starts like singing and making weird noises and kind of jumping around the room. And instead of saying, son, sit down, be quiet. I mean, sometimes I say that. Mm-hmm. A lot of times I want to say, hey, son, I want you to stop and look around and observe. And then you tell me what you should go do. Um, so it's helping, again, building them roots of wisdom. And, but also uh, things like toughness, durability. It's so crazy how pandered kids are today. Right. And it, helicopter parenting and, um, you know, just wanting to protect them from everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, usher them into everything. <laughs> and Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, with, with kids, like, uh, we were talking about this the other day. About like like how many issues are projected onto a kid, <laughs> like like not saying that a kid never struggles with anxiousness. Some of them do, but but I just I wonder how many times it's actually mom that's anxious, and then projecting that anxiousness onto the kid instead of saying, "Hey, kid, look, you'll be fine. Let's move on." Or maybe they've read too many Facebook articles on something and they're feeding their kids options of like, oh, are you feeling this or are you feeling this, you know, <laughs> that the kid never was feeling. They were just being selfish at the moment, you know, or what whatnot. And so yeah. then, you know, it just, it, it's like ushering them into a certain need mm-hmm. that they never really had in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> or like, you don't want to go into the nursery on Sunday morning? Well, how about... Instead of the thinking about it in terms of, well, they're anxious because they are going into that space, you should think of it as they're disobediently not trusting mom and dad by walking in there and doing what they were told to do. Um, see, it, it, it's easier on mom and dad to chalk it up as an anxiousness problem than it is to, for mom and dad to have to repent for not parenting their child mm-hmm. and not and not helping their child learn faith by trusting mom and dad. So, you know, kids pandered and for various reasons. Um, so we we want to put them in places where they have to persevere. Um, things that they have to work through that's going to cost them something um, to finish the task. Um, and uh, you we know, have such comfortable lives, and so I think that translates to our child rearing and our child's lives. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So they are you, comfortable, and they don't have to really persevere. And so then life gets pretty mm-hmm. hard as an adult. Yeah. Even it, as a as you know as a married adult, you know, and you know doing uncomfortable things. Yeah. Becoming a parent, you yeah. know, it's Be- hard things. You know, there's a phrase me and some of my friends have been talking about like this idea of um, uh, voluntary hardship, that because we live in such a comfortable place, we have, to, we have to voluntarily put ourselves into 
um, places that are uncomfortable. So, for example, one of the, the things I was thinking about last night as we were sitting on the porch, and I'm still planning to do this, is we have this rocking chair that's been broken. Well, I found out last night from one of the kids where it's at. It's up in the hayloft in the barn. But I'm told, basically, from, from Chapman, like there's, uh, like, it's really hard to get it out of the loft. So what I'm planning to do is to send Chapman and probably two of the other boys out there and just tell them to figure it out. They have to get this mm-hmm. this thing down from, and it's going to be hard. They're going to have to put their minds together. They're going to have to, one of them is going to have to step up and lead, and and, and they're going to have to do it, hopefully without breaking it. And I mean, it's, it's kind of broken right now, but I want to go get it fixed. And so they're going to have to figure that out, and it's going to be stressful for them. You know what? As a mom, it's so easy to be like, oh, I don't want them to suffer or like get upset or you know it's just so easy to want to rescue your kids from hardship you know mm-hmm. we don't want to see them you know yeah frustrated no absolutely we don't want and we also don't want to have like attitudes with each other like see siblings have attitudes with each other that's uncomfortable for mom <laughs> so i'm like ah, we're not gonna do that <laughs> that's right that's right so i'm glad they have you <laughs> <laughs> well and and just just to be clear and i i know you we're on the same page here but Mom has to see the value of that. Absolutely. And mom can't get in the way of that. Right. That will do more damage than... Oh, absolutely. Right. It'll divide the mom and dad in front of the kids, mm-hmm. and it will, there will not be unity. No. Yeah. No, absolutely. And that's just more of a, a tendency for, I think, a mom to want to yes. be like, oh, I, you know, coddle the child. But you are not loving the child when you coddle them. They That's need to right. grow up to be sturdy young men who yeah. know how to work as a team. <laughs> um, as Wilson calls it, Molly coddling. Yeah. I think that's, mm-hmm. a, good, that's a good phrase. Um, the last thing on being sturdy is this. You can't have a sturdy household without a sturdy father. Um, and I'm not saying mom's role here is not important. But dad has to be a sturdy person. He's got to be a stalwart in the faith. Like he's he's got to be unshakable, and not, I'm not saying about perfect, but but generally, like he can't be this tossed to and fro with the wind and changing his mind all the time, and he can't be, you know, this emotional basket case or getting angry and flying off the hook here and there. Like he's he's got to be steady when times are tough. Dad's got to be the one that's going to say like, "Hey guys, it's going to be okay. We'll make it through it." Like. So when they're having a hard time getting that that uh, rocking chair down, like I want to be nearby, but I want to be the person saying, "Guys, you got it, you got it, figure it out, get it going," you know. Um, or when we were bringing the cows home the other night, like <laughs> I, I I was nervous at many 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 times, and. I wanted to, with my kids, let some of that nervousness out, but I wanted them to see that nervousness was being governed by a fortitude to see it done um, and a trusting the Lord that if this is what He wants us to do, He'll see us through it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like a steadiness. Um, and, and that's different than a, than a dad who just is like acts all big and tough all the time. That's not what I'm talking about. I but I'm talking about a, a dad who shows his kids that he actually trusts in the Lord and he has fortitude, um, and he's not tossed around by things. And you uh, boldly take risks. 
and you also are ready to fix it if it <laughs> goes awry. <laughs> yes, I've had to fix many of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last one is a, a household should be productive. And what we mean by that is a family should work for the good of others, um, both within the household and outside of the household. Um, you know, uh, another way of thinking about this is like we don't want our family being dependent on someone else's plantation. Like we want to have our our own um, production that's coming from from our own household, and, and that's many things from spiritual production to physical production. Um, like uh, we want our kids like to take responsibility for life and family. We want to lead our family to serve our church, like to be productive for the good of our church together. And yeah. we lead our family to raise chickens and cows and cats. <laughs> and dogs. <laughs> right. Dogs. Uh, we do all those, uh, those things. And we're not saying that all of those things every family has to do. But what we're saying is that every family needs to be productive. Like you need to lead your family for the good of each other and, and to the good of those outside your household. Um, so when we're raising cows, we're not just thinking, ooh, we're going to have more steak in the fall. I'm definitely thinking that. Um, <laughs> well, but we can't eat it all, so we, we are doing it for the I mean, I probably neighbor. could. I'd just do all, that. just do the whole carnivore diet. <laughs> That's, yes. Um, yeah, like we're raising, so in that sense, I'm not just trying to make money, but I'm trying to raise quality for the good of, of those around me. Um you know, when we do maintenance together around our homestead, around Withy Window here, like it's it's for the love of our neighbor. We're being productive. It's for the love of creation. Um, when we cut the grass, it's for the love of creation. When we trim back a tree or plant a new tree, it's for the love. It's being productive for the love of creation. And, and you're pointing out the eternal purpose of these tasks that and just be so taken at just face value. Oh, yeah. I've got to mow the grass again. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got to get my kid to mow the grass again. I've got to do all this again and again and again. The repetition. Yeah. I mean, how many families think, um, well, my productivity is when I leave the house and I go make money. And then when I get home, it's about lounging in front of the TV. It's about, you know, uh, just getting by until I can get to bed. And then go be productive tomorrow morning. And that can be whether you just your uh, to-do list as you're making the home or as you go off to a career outside the home. It can be either one of those things. But the reality is, is like, like the whole day should be productive. And that doesn't mean that you can't sit and watch TV. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that, but like that your whole day is meant to be productive. And that the family is on mission together. Yeah. In that productivity. Yeah. Even though, say, even dad goes outside the wall, you know, the household, you know, yeah, to go work. Yeah. You know, in one of the later uh, episodes we have planned, I want to talk about how does a father lead on mission. And, you know, it's interesting, you know, 50, 60, 70 years ago, a lot of masculine vocations or vocations that men did, it was done out of their house. So they would... He was a cobbler or a blacksmith or a farmer, a dairy farmer or a pig farmer or, or whatever, and he did that from his house. And so it was easy to help his family be a part of that mission. 
um, of subduing the earth through mm-hmm. raising cattle, being productive, feeding It was their, right there. The family was, was there. Right there. Now, most men, and there's nothing wrong with this, they go to jobs that are completely disconnected. I mean, some people even working for the military, and they can't even talk about their jobs, mm-hmm. like at least the, the intricate details. So you have to, if you're going to be productive as a household together, then as a man, you've got to learn, how do I bring my family along in that mission? Mm-hmm. Um, so like for us, as I have pastored at Christ the Lord, I've had to help my family. Again, we'll talk about this more in a later episode, but I have to talk, talk to my family about how they're a part of that mission. Now that we have a homestead, it's actually a little easier to say our mission is is you know A, B, and C here on the homestead. So today we're going to go out and feed the cows, or today we're going to go out and test the electric fence, and then to go do that together. And then when we make money, mm-hmm. we do that together. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're being productive together. We're on mission together. So the household's a culture, and as that culture... Um, it needs to, you know, we desire and, and believe it's a part of a, a biblical framework that it be joyful, uh, that it be sturdy, and that it be productive. So, again, we'd like to thank you for, for joining us this week. And, and if you'd like to support us on this, uh, in this mission, um, be a part of this with us, um, then please visit our Patreon page and become uh, a supporter today. Now go seek God and His Word as you build your household through dominion and mastery to be joyful, sturdy, and productive.